Right, good evening, comrades, and welcome to the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Tonight is January 19th, 2023. I want to thank you all for showing up tonight. Tonight's class, as it was on Tuesday, is on political organizing, and we have a presentation that was put together from a few members from our Legislative and Electoral Commission of the PCUSA. All right, here we go. This is electoral politics. One of the things that we have not really paid much attention to is the fact one of our duties and responsibilities as a uh, communist member is to really, truly, every single one of us need to participate in political organizing. And this can be right down to, hopefully, you have registered to vote. Hopefully, you have voted in the past. That is one of the prime duties that all of us should start with. And uh, I hope all of you that um, our party members do take heart in that. And if you're not a member, uh, a voter, you know, please make sure that you do make that your responsibility. All right. This uh, is skills and tactics, because there are a lot of strategies as well as, as uh, tactics in political organizing. It is put on with um, two or three people from our legislative and electoral commission. What do we mean when we talk about political organizing? And it does cover a lot of activities of which we should be participating really in all of them. This is not exclusive. I mean, there are a lot more other definitions and uh, different ways of organizing and becoming politically conscious. So it can be a group that reaches out to people to create a mass movement. We do that with our mass organizations. Uh, other people do it maybe more informally. But that is one way of organizing. A group rallying specifically just around a particular issue. So a group is only focused on one, it may not be a permanent organization, but they're just uh, once that issue supposedly is resolved. And uh, as the suggestion was, Roe versus Wade. And the other one, and this is popular, there are people that do this. It's a group, concerned citizens. They're the ones that usually are the ones that ask you to sign petitions. They are attending their city councils, and they may actually have some kind of list where they report in newsletters what is going on in your backyard. And this is a really a great way to get involved. Obviously, all of this also helps our outreach. And then a group supporting candidates, which is probably what most people think of when they talk about political organizing. Uh, this means that if we find a candidate that um, either has the same perspective on very important current issues that we would support them by phone banks, participation in events and mailings. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about our uh, activity. Right in our program, this is Article 11 of the PCUSA program. And you can find that on our website, the three-legged stool. And a realistic policy that is neither sectarian nor set in stone nor part of the current two-party machine that dominates the U.S. political process. How can we participate? What are ways that we are obligated to participate? First and foremost, obviously, running our own candidates, where and when feasible. We have had people in our organization that have run. And you need to understand that it can be done, and it can be done with good results. You don't have to win to have good results. Uh, running with other forces in a formation that is independent of the two-party system wherever possible. All of you are aware that we believe in building coalitions that, if they have the same uh, value that we do on a particular issue, then we can have a coalition for that issue. And if they are supporting candidates, we can also say that we can support them too. And then last, and of course, just barely scraping the, the edge of what we should be doing, is where appropriate supporting local progressives who are pro-labor, pro-worker, anti-racist, and anti-war, who run in primaries of other parties. Why do we do this? To reach more workers. It's involvement, engagement, it is outreach. So yes, we should strive for the first one, but that's no excuse. We still have two other options to fall back on to uh, make sure that we stay engaged. 
All right, I'm going to pause here. I just want to make sure that everyone has uh, no questions in regards to what we're talking about when we're talking about political organizing. So I guess, could you give an example of, you know, like you said, ideally we go with option one, I guess what would restrict us or when would it be more appropriate to go with options two or three, as opposed to just running our, trying to run our own candidates all the time? Thank you. Yeah, that's a good question. I I should not have, I should have stated these three options are not mutually exclusive. We most likely will be running candidates, working with coalitions and supporting issue related candidates more like depending on your region, what's going on in your state, so on and so forth. So they are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. So what I would say when it comes to the three-legged stool approach is it depends on the election and the time in which you decide to start going for it. For example, with a local small-scale election, like we're going to give an example of me running for city council, it was one of those things where I could do it. There was enough time to run for it. And so we were able to run our own candidate. But of course, if it's something like an election that's coming up this year, that maybe the deadline's already passed and there's only third party candidates and bourgeois party candidates, then we might just go for the third party candidate uh, if possible. Then there's situations where it does get down to just two bourgeois party candidates and we have to figure out which one is better for the working class. That's what it comes down to in presidential elections, but that even happens in a lot of gubernatorial and Senate races. So it's it's just kind of that process of elimination of can we run our own person? Nope. Okay. Can we support a third party person? Nope. Okay. Which bourgeois party person is best for us? And that's kind of last resort. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, Comrade General Secretary, Angelo, you have the floor. Yeah, I'd like to clarify that. This is an old tactic. This is not our party's tactic. This is stuff that has been used in the past. The Communist Party used this tactic from uh, 1920s on, from the 1920s. At a certain point, we ran our own candidate against Roosevelt in 1932. We ran our own candidate. Then later on, we supported Roosevelt during the period where the Wall Street forces were behind the GOP at the time. If you go back to that period and you study it, you'll see what I'm saying. Um, So it depends. We have to be flexible. Where does the working class have a best chance of making advances through reforms, for example? That kind of thing has to be taken into consideration. So as I said, it's flexible. Thank you. Yes, I just want to follow up on Angelo and that. It all depends, of course, on the strength in numbers and uh, how many people you have to uh, run a campaign. When the Communist Party, CPUSA, was much stronger during the, between the uh, 30s to 50s, even going into the 60s, they, they had uh, 100, a couple hundred thousand members. Uh, we actually, in, in New York City, elected to... Uh, uh, council people, one an Italian from Bensonhurst, uh, Peter Caccioni, and the other one was uh, Davis. Ben Davis. Ben Davis. Had Ben Davis from Harlem, and uh, an African American. And but uh, if you don't have, especially now, we cannot really ever, at this point, run candidates under our own party name because we don't have uh, the forces to do that. And it's, it takes a tremendous amount to do, to do something like run a campaign. And so you go to other options. If the time in, 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 in the future, especially in certain areas, it could be like, you know, in the city of New York, where there's a lot of, you know, people who could be concentrated and easily get together, or some of the other larger cities or, or metropolitan areas, it becomes easier to, to run. Uh, and if you have a number of comrades together, 90 seconds. Then maybe you can get on the ballot under our party. But at this time, what you want to do is look to, is out there, somebody pops up and you say, oh, my God, we, we really would could use this guy in office. Maybe the anti-war candidate or an anti-fascist candidate and uh, somebody running on uh, an issues of socialism. And, uh, you know, you could do that. But the thing is, of course, most important of all is that you want to do something 
to gain experience. You can't just, even if we started getting large numbers, just stepping in and thinking if you can run a political campaign without even knowing the, the technical issues on getting on the ballot and, and, and running a campaign and eating up with the legal aspects of running a campaign. You really want to start uh, getting your feet wet in, in local campaigns. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, comrade. I just wanted to address some a common ultra leftist uh, critique of this sort of strategy that I see pop up all the time, um, which is in essence that the they have a problem with any sort of support for even progressive candidates who run within bourgeois parties. And I think that that comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of the purpose of doing that. It's not because we think that these progressive candidates will represent us accurately. It's because it's choosing our enemies. Which, when we look at this for what it is, class warfare, that is important. Defining the landscape that we're fighting within. Choosing our enemies can make our chances of victory better, and it can make conditions more favorable for us. So if we find somebody who is less ardently anti-communist or less pro-war, or somebody like JFK, who was working against the CIA and was working to pulling us out of some of the wars that we were in at the time, um, that is objectively a better enemy for us to be fighting against because it's essentially easier conditions for us to win with it. Thank you. All right. Thank, well, you, thank you. So that's the three-legged stool. Now, um, there are some very good quotes from Engels and from Lenin in regards to our duties. So I thought it was worthwhile for us to understand that this is, I mean, we're talking 1850s, 1860s. Like uh, Angel mentioned, this is nothing new, all right? So here we go. The workers took part in elections. They contested with the bourgeoisie in every post. I mean, here's a platform, a public platform for us to take other parties to task, okay? And so it happened that the bourgeoisie and the government came to be much more afraid of the legal than of the illegal action of the Workers' Party, of the results of elections than those of rebellion. It spells it right out here. The government, the bourgeoisie, were more afraid of the results of elections. And, and I think that is something we really need to drive home. And here's, the, again, the tip that I'm, I'm uh, mentioning. Are you registered to vote? If so, have you voted? In your pledge to follow Marxist-Leninism teachings, it is your duty to become a voter for the working class. And this is from Frederick Engels. All right, here's an example of the person that we supported in 2022. Some people discovered his campaign on Twitter and said, hey, maybe we should get involved. And we really did get involved. Both the MPD and RE were participating in the planning session of Jeff Young's campaign meetings, which met most every Saturday last year. Uh, and we did a lot of other things other than that, too. But if you actually notice, you know, one, right out there, abolish the CIA. He did have a billboard. He couldn't get it. When his lease ran out, they wouldn't <laughs> renew it because they hadn't known what he was going to be putting on it. So, but he did get it up for a few months. And looking at his platform, prevent a nuclear war, get big money out of politics, Medicare for all, abolish the CIA, abolish AFRICOM, impeach the six crooked justices who voted to overturn Roe versus Wade, legalize all drugs, tax millionaires and billionaires, impeach President Biden for risking World War III with Russia and China and end all economic sanctions against all countries and individuals. Now, it is funny that, you know, you look at this, and it looks like it's really way out there, but it isn't really. And I think it's important that even though this was so close to our platform, there are some, that, some things that maybe we think he could have avoided doing, but these are very, very good. These are really good options. We felt very comfortable, those of us that participated, in participating in his election. He was against, I don't know if anyone is politically, you know, what do you call it, obsessed. They might know Andy Bashir, but he was running against Andy Bashir, 
who is in one of the uh, foreign committees, the foreign aid committees and all that. And he was an incumbent and been in a couple of uh, terms. Well, with the limited resources Jeff had, he ended up capturing 35% of the vote in a very red district in Kentucky. And that amounted to 83,000 voters. So quite frankly, the slogan, the platform can really outweigh the status quo in a lot of cases. And I noticed there's a lot of hands going up. Thank you. As always, a more simple, pragmatic question. What is it generally required to even be ballotable? All I hear is size. Yeah. What's the requirements to have a a person? Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's different in every geography. It's different. It's never the same. Every city has a different. Every state has a different number. Uh, There is one technique that people forget about is that you can be a write-in candidate. If what you're looking for is a forum, a platform, you can go in as a write-in candidate. You, You can bypass a lot of the signatures by just doing that. So there's lots of ways. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. Speaking from experience on smaller races like city council, that's really simple. Uh, I wouldn't even go the petition approach because, or the signature approach because that's just going to take too much time and effort. But uh, I just paid $25 to run for city council when I did it. But mm-hmm. when it comes to larger races like Congress or even just state house stuff like your, your state representative and that, Uh, That can be a little bit more expensive. You might want to do the petition approach just to be able to talk to voters beforehand before you even get on the ballot. But everybody can get on the ballot uh, in the U.S. if you're a citizen. It's just whether or not you can get the signatures or pay the price. So there's a little bit of a barrier for working class people, uh, but it's not impossible. I hope that answers your question. All right. Thank you, comrade. So I was wondering... um... Just, I guess, from experience with elections and stuff like voting for people in the squad that I definitely thought were more communistic, but they kind of were like leftist deviations or like, are we cool with supporting like the squad or like Democrats? That's that's it. Yeah. So just to give a brief answer uh, from what I can, it really just depends on which bourgeois party and which bourgeois candidate has the best agenda in mind for the working class, or at least the least destructive. When it comes to the squad, of course, yes, they've disappointed a lot of us in terms of their actions. They've helped out imperialists a lot. But I do think that the squad is preferable to, you know, the Democratic Party being ran mostly by people like Joe Manchin or the other, you know, Democrats that are more closer to neoconservatives. And, you know, same thing with preventing fascists from getting getting into office, like you see sometimes with uh, with the Republican Party. And that's not to say, you know, one of the things that I want to say here real quick before we move on to is that we don't necessarily support either the Democratic or Republican Party. If by chance there is a Republican candidate that's better for the working class than any of the Democratic candidates, you know, we would probably support that candidate. Um, I tend to find that that's rare but just wanted to put that clarification in there. So I hope that answers your question, comrade. Yeah, comrades. Last summer over here in California, our club and people supported this guy from Roseville. He's a Republican, GOP. He's Russian, originally from Odessa, very anti-Ukrainian regime and NATO and all that. We supported him. One more thing. I didn't know much about that Geoffrey Young in Kentucky, and uh, that's pretty awesome, that platform. But mm-hmm. just a little side note, I'm sure you know, legalize all drugs. Hell no, only legalize natural drugs, you know, mushrooms, marijuana, it's all good. But you don't want our people to do heroin, methamphetamine, and all that junk, right? Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's important. We are supporting candidates that are going to bring reforms. We're not expect through either of the two major parties to vote in socialism. It's not going to happen. They are not bringing us to socialism. Lenin told us we need to support the reforms. There are two types of reforms, revolutionary reforms 
and reforms that the system could absorb. For example, the system could absorb gay marriage. It's not going to crumble the system. But they would never have a reform that would take money away from the military budget. That they would fight against. Those are the forms that we have to fight for, the revolutionary reforms. And that's according to, to Lenin. We don't agree with everything that these people support, the drugs. However, and this is a big however, to take money away from the uh, Pentagon and to stop giving money to Ukraine is very important. We have to be in the middle of that and supporting that because Ukraine represents fascism. And objectively, we got to do that. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Okay, so I would like to say a few things about Jeff Young, about this whole thing. So one, I'm glad we're talking about Jeff Young. There's another camp, there's a few other campaigns, both past and present, that I would like, three campaigns I would like to bring your attention to. One of them being a person he's associated with named Diane Sayre, who ran on a pretty similar platform in the state of New York. Another person who ran as a Green Party presidential candidate in 2008, but is considering running again for them in 2024. Her name is Cynthia McKinney. Unlike Howie Hawkins, he, she's actually anti-imperialist, actually anti-NATO. And she actually was like one of the more successful Green Party candidates they've had. Probably one of the few besides Jill Stein. The other one is at the American Solidarity Party, which we know a guy named Mike Vick. But there's a party called the American Solidarity Party, which runs on an anti-war platform. But they are a Christian, but they don't come from a leftist perspective, nor do they come from a libertarian perspective like the Libertarian Party does. They're a Christian Catholic part. They're Catholic distributist party that has a anti-war and pro-union platform. And then the other thing I want to say is that even though we supported Jeff Young, he did do something called Democrats for DeSantis, which obviously none of us here agree, agree with, because after all, DeSantis is probably more pro-war than Trump is, if you can believe it. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to make a, uh, one uh, correction. Uh, Jeff Young ran against Andy Barr was the name of the person. Oh, not Bashir. Yeah, that was, the, that was the previous election was the Bashir, but the most recent one was Andy Barr. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Who, he's like, he's a, he's a star in the GOP. All right. Thank you for that correction, comrade. Yes. Uh, what's the definition of a, a mass organization? All right. So I can go ahead and answer that. Uh, mass organizations are also known as transmission belts. Basically, you know, we set up mass organizations so that we can reach the masses, you know, with actual things that it's the phrase meet the people where they're at. And so with the mass organizations, uh, we organize around specific issues or, or sometimes more broadly, uh, like within the case of MPD. And we're able to actually go into the places where the people are and reach them more easily than we could if we had a hammer and sickle. Uh, it allows okay. us to actually go and, and, and build coalitions with progressive forces uh, and whatnot. Right. And um, two qualifications, too. On the mass orgs, you do not have to be a party member to join. And that's what, why they talk about it being a transmission belt. And the other thing is Jeff Young started 2023 after he won the election and talking about this Democrats for DeSantis, we told him upfront and personal that uh, we would not be doing anything for him for his campaign this year because of that. So, you know, that's why we're looking and keep this in mind, everybody. That's why we're looking for candidates that we can support or so if any of you have someone that you know, come to the legislative and electoral committee because we need people. We're vetting some of the people that have been uh, suggested to us, but if we can get even more, so much the better. So uh, feel free to, um, to participate in that. Okay. Our most senior, shall we say, political experienced uh, member. And so I just wanted to share, I, I interviewed him and I had to make some corrections so up there in the front, it says the good, the bad, and the ugly, because we're in politics, and you know how crazy that can be. So he's a founding member of our party in 2016. He's been with Angelo for many years before that. And he's the one who has spent his last decades here engaged in politics. And now 
he will share his experiences with us. You heard him already speak to, uh, tonight. What I wanted to do on the left here is I talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the good part of what you know keeps us going when we get good results, Ed joined the Liberal Party of New York. Now, this is a party that's only in New York. And he liked this party, one, because they were quite open and he rose up through the ranks. They were uh, able to really uh, engage everybody that was in the Liberal Party. And he was able to run twice for the New York Assembly. And once he ran for borough president. He talked about this Democratic candidate that was running against an anti-union Republican. So this motivated Ed. And he also drew support from his union, Central Labor Council, and went out and campaigned door to door. Campaign was known as Labor to Neighbor. His son confiscated Republican leaflets along their route. It appears that basically the Republicans paid youngsters to just basically plaster neighborhoods with the leaflets, but they did not engage door to door. So eventually, the good news is the Democrat did win. Now, he was one of the co-founders of the Working Families Party. This was made up of a whole bunch of other organizations, and they came together. This party was able to create an infrastructure, and because of what Ed calls the ability to know the nuts and bolts of organizing, they fulfilled the New York State petition requirements, gained enough members to support candidates and to attract allies. So during the decades he was able to commandeer some really good results with his outreach. So this is important too, as we talk about it, the bad and the ugly. At one point in time, look what happened to the Working Families Party. It was popular enough to gain some somewhat unwanted attention. Big unions funded the party and then pressed for their own candidates to be selected, disregarding the party's concerns. I mean, How familiar is that? Eventually, Ed resigned and at a meeting requested that the state committee resign, which they did. Now, it didn't effectively end the party, but it certainly damaged it. And, uh, you know, I can kind of talk about that. Now, here is where he was sabotaged by the Democrats, which uh, was very interesting. As a Liberal Party candidate, his one issue platform was no to the nuclear home port. This was being sponsored for Staten Island. You can see one of the posters that went up. It says, accident. The basing of the nuclear Navy at Staten Island threatens us all. This was a hot issue, and Democrats fearing that Ed would split the votes and decrease the chances of the Democratic Party winning, they blacklisted Ed. They had the power to prevent newspapers from running his press releases that he sent over or reporting on his speeches when he was present at a rally. So, all right, this is a sobering moment. I asked Ed what made him get involved in politics. And he said, you know, he was a, he's a war veteran and he had to accompany a fallen soldier. You know, these um, fallen soldiers always have someone accompanying them from Vietnam back home. And he said it was wrong. And that is what changed his life. And he got into politics. So here are the main lessons that he's learned on the way during these years. He said, what is indispensable is knowledgeable admins. They need to know nuts and bolts, petitions, requirements, dealing with Uh, the elections committees, state election committees, so on and so forth. The next one is a proper slogan can win elections. You know, what was it? Peace, bread, and land. Slogans can win elections. He considers extremely important. And then obviously, committed campaign committee that are in agreement and work well together. There was contention He had a bunch of advisors. I don't think anyone there supported him. But if he wanted to do that, what are you going to do about it? And of course, what I did was we left. So I have no idea what's going on with this campaign, but I can already tell you that it is a shadow of its former self already. And of course, committed workers and supporters, the more the better. 
and then flexible strategists to seize opportunities. You have to be quick on your feet and you have to take advantage of certain events that happen. You just have to, and someone, it doesn't have to be the candidate, but someone has to be there to recognize that and take advantage of it. All right. And uh, we'll pause right here. Ed, I don't know if you want to say anything. And it looks like there's a whole bunch of hands already. Yes, the other thing I, I wanted to emphasize is that uh, even the course and, and even coming in, uh, General Secretary even said, you know, everything is different. The most important thing you do is you must check with your local boards of elections, even without, I'm not, not talking about running, but even the knowledge of politics. Go to the board of elections and find out what the process is, is and uh, what the legal requirements are both to get on the ballot, what kind of forms you would have to file. And because you don't have to actually run for it, but sometimes if you're supporting someone, it's very important to, you know, that you, you know how to petition, what type of signatures, how you sign, and what they allow, uh, evaluations of signatures, what they allow, what they throw up the ballot. It's very important. So you all say you have to know your P's and Q's, and you have to cross your T's and dot your I's. And that's, uh, ideology is important. Of course, if it's important. But ideology alone doesn't win elections. Just as, as I said, you could be the greatest athlete in the world if you really don't know the rules of the game, baseball, football, whatever. If you don't know how to play the game, uh, you could be strong as an ox. If you don't know how to skate, you can't play hockey. So that that's basically knowing not like that, she said, nuts and bolts of local, you know, what's your local boards of election, the state and even locality. Also, it's important to, if you know, I would say there are many candidates on the Democratic Party that are left. And I said, even Angelo, I even uh, would agree with me that now that he's dead for some years, uh, we had a, a great local assemblyman from Brooklyn, Frank Barbaro who was a longshoreman, went to law school, and then wound up running for office and got elected to the assembly. And uh, he was a communist, but of course, obviously he kept that under the wing. He really didn't, uh, a lot of people, of course, uh, figured that he did, but nobody actually, the people that you know knew him and liked him and were part of his campaign, of course, kept them out shut. He became chair of the New York State Assembly Labor Committee. And there's a whole slew of laws to protect workers that came to his committee. And because he was the chair of the committee, he and because of his seniority, he got those laws enacted. And that's the power of somebody who uses a main party to actually, you know, get our our, our agenda through and, and enact it into laws. And that, that's the important thing in the you know, ultra-leftist uh, politics. They also have this. They love to work, you know, chant and slogans and and uh, and but the chanting and slogans, no matter how many leaflets you give out, you know, doesn't do anything. And uh, one thing I didn't bring up on Tuesday, and I'll bring it up, and Angel will remember this: 1982, 750,000 people basically filled Central Park from one end to the other in an anti-nuclear demonstration. The largest demonstration of its kind in the entire United States history. I don't think anybody could name one elected official, main elected official for New York, that voted to ban nuclear weapons. You know, come from New York State, New Jersey, around there. They actually proposed legislation as a congressman or to ban nuclear weapons altogether and tell the United States to dump all its nuclear weapons. And we still have 10,000 nuclear weapons. So that's the importance of electoral politics as opposed to uh, street politics. All right, so we'll go ahead and take questions now. Uh, thank you, comrade. So this is um, the comrade earlier who had asked about the squad got me thinking of this. I had been trying to find the text I was thinking of. There is something that Lenin wrote that I think is extremely useful in the application of the coalition building part of the three-legged stool. It's called On Compromises. And I'll link to it in the chat, but essentially it was written at the time when the Bolsheviks, it, it was during the provisional government mm -hmm. uh, with the cadets. And it was a about the Bolsheviks working in essentially a 
quasi-coalition with the Mensheviks and SRs. And it was about the potential to do that and how it can be used. And um, when it comes to coalition building and making temporary compromises, we need to understand them as tactical decisions where we borrow their power to grow our own essentially is what it is. And I think that this is a very important work for people to read. Uh, I link to it in the chat. Thank you. Thank you. If I could just chime in for a second. Comrade Angelo, uh, General Secretary, would agree with me. He knows this to be very well. Many Bolsheviks joined the army, joined the war effort when the Russian soldiers were in World War I because they knew it was going to collapse. The soldiers hated it. The soldiers didn't want to be there. And they were wanted to be there to basically uh, foment revolution from within the ranks. And it became, by the way, the greatest desertion in the history of warfare. The entire Russian army walked off the battlefield in uh, 1916. They just picked up and walked off. And it was the Bolshevik soldiers that basically fomented this anger uh, at their uh, leaders and, and walked off. So they joined the army and actually went off to war, mm-hmm. basically for that the, for tactical reason. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. Uh, I think uh, the current experience globally and in the United States testifies to the thesis uh, by Lenin about uh, state monopoly capitalism, that it is the eve of the socialist revolution. Because if you look at the United States, I mean, the, the unity between the Republican and Democratic Party, there is no difference. And there are also people mm-hmm. in the military who support uh, military adventures. So I think the result, this war in Ukraine is the result of the two-party system uniting with the military-industrial complex. So I think we can only see it from the standpoint of Leninism that in this era, there is no uh, uh, democracy, there is no republicanism, there is only the ease yeah, of I the socialist revolution. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. And I want to say real quick, because I heard the uh, last part of that saying that uh, there's uh, no democracy. It might be difficult in the United States. There might be a lot of barriers to democracy for us, and it's definitely not socialist democracy, but we do have some sort of a facet of democracy here that we have to participate in. So I just wanted to say that because one of the things that I've heard a lot of people on the left say, especially since the Trump administration and since January 6th, is that democracy is is gone in the United States. And I, I don't know about you, but I voted this year. Um, so there's at least mm-hmm. some, some you know, bit of it. We have to participate in that. So I just wanted to add Thank that you. in there. Hi, yeah, just two questions. One, I was wanting to know um, if we are going to be involved in the Rage Against the War Machine event being held on February 19th. And then I was curious about when when does a communist party propose a united front to a coalition? Is that more of a formal process or is it not as formal? Thank you. The United Front, Georgi Dimitrov's book is very important for us to read. Each of us should get that book from New Outlook Publishers, order it now and get it and read it. It's excellent. It explains the whole idea. Coalition work or United Front work, it's another term for it, coalition work, is very important on an issue, whether it's the issue of uh, the abortion issue or against war or um, for equality for all races. Each of these separate issues you need allies in order to get to victory so your ally in one area could be not an ally in another area mm-hmm. remember that so we have to look at where we have allies so coalition work is really the name of the game when it comes to winning on issues that's all thank you thank you comrade um so the people's school doesn't typically participate in any events I don't know if any party members or any of our mass org members are going to participate in the event that you mentioned, uh, but I think that we should. One thing that I wanted to say, though, about the United Front is that's not necessarily the topic of this class, but next week's class is going to be present day fascism. So basically, we're going to be talking about the United Front and reading from the tasks of the Communist International Dimitrov's book. So yeah, that's going to be one of the things that gets discussed next week as we talk about how we actually deal with fascists 
uh, in our current day, both here in the United States uh, and abroad. So mm -hmm. that question will be answered soon enough. So I just want to point out one thing is we have a student organization called American Student Union, which is actually officially an endorser of the rally. You can go on its website right now and you will find us listed as an endorser. I think it's actually relevant that you actually brought this up because there are actual the Libertarian Party actually endorsed this rally, not even like a local one, but the national one and like their Radical Caucus and their Mises Caucus endorsed it, too. You also had the People's Party, which is a left wing party, endorsed it. And I know that CPI, Center for Political Innovation, endorsed it and Code Pink endorsed it. So and obviously, even though Code Pink is not an electoral organization, they definitely have contacts with various Democrats. So what I want to point out is this, though, even though ASU endorsed it, MPD will be there and as with ASU and MPD will have a table and we already have it confirmed that we'll be there. Thank you. All right, here's another quote. And I, th I still think this is Engels, and so hopefully you guys can. But again, important. I didn't know how to emphasize in this class any more than I could in, in these quotes by both Engels and Lenin, how important it is for us to take advantage of what is given us to, to participate in. We basically, if you're in a capitalist country, you better know capitalism inside and out and where we, as a unit, can take advantage of it. And, and that, I don't, I can't express that enough anyway. All right, the franchise or the ability to vote. The franchise suffrage has been transformed by the workers from a means of deception into an instrument of emancipation. And this is what I'm talking about. The workers who are the voters, who are the participants in the politics, they take, we know uh, our political system is um, a bunch of lies. Disappointingly, we hear people saying, well, it's all lies. Why should I participate? Well, the reason you're going to still participate, you can turn it around. You can use it. And, and make it an instrument of emancipation. And Engels continues, it provided a means second to none, second to none, remember that, of getting in touch with the masses and forcing all parties, Democrat, Republican, anyone else, to defend their views and actions. And the only way that they're going to try to defend their lies is if we are there with pushback. So, and here's Lena's quote, which I think is excellent. In preparing for the elections to the Duma, this is in 1912, here's what Lenin wrote. To every party at all worthy of the name, a platform is something that has existed long before the elections. It is not something specially devised for the elections but an inevitable result of the whole work of the party, of the way the work is organized and of its whole trend in the given historical period. Our election platform can be expressed in three words for the revolution. And um, as one of our um, persons that got into politics a couple of years ago, the platform she put together, it's about three pages long, but it covers everything. And it's almost a template. If we are going to vet other candidates to see if they're worthy, we would use that platform as a starting point. So this is what Lennon is saying. That platform exists long before the elections start. And we have to take advantage of that and make sure that the party itself is agreeable to uh, the platform. And here's just some things I'm hoping that you'll start thinking about. What area of politics would motivate you to participate in? Would you join groups focusing on local issues? Would you volunteer to campaign for candidates? So, and, and then the basics, how do you see yourself taking action? Are you going to register to vote? Are you going to vote? Compile a guide of your representatives, your current representatives that you should be voting on. 
begin attending city councils and reporting on their activity in in a newsletter. I mean, start thinking about where there's so many areas. There's got to be something that would motivate you to do some kind of action. All right. We can still have write-in. I am showing you here her platform. And again, if uh, you remember Abraham Lincoln, he put together his platform. It was 700 words. He did it once. He put it in the Library of Congress, and basically he directed all uh, media. If they want to know what his platform is, they can go to the Library of Congress and look it up. There it is in bold print and writing, and that's the end of it. Uh, So here you see the public housing, affordable housing, unionization, increase in the minimum wage, just saying for Coos Bay, and then trying to go to uh, Salem to say it should be for the whole state. Moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. Creation of a labor board to allow direct representation for the labor movement within Coos Bay. And then approach conversation with other governments and people on the topic of the Bay Area consolidation and overall economic future. This is one paragraph. Uh, As I said, there are three uh, pages covering a whole bunch of other items. And I just want you to see that we do have experienced people. A lot of groundwork has been done. Uh, Yeah. First, I just want to start with a correction. Uh, I wasn't a write-in candidate. Uh, I was uh, registered and on file for the candidacy the first time. Uh, The second time around, I did file, but I ended up getting paid back by the city council because something had happened with my uh, voter registration and basically, I wasn't registered to vote at the time, so I couldn't run. So that's just a okay. lesson to always check your voter registration. You never know uh, when something that you input in there is going to mess you up, and then you're not on the ballot, and then you can't vote. You didn't even realize that you were disenfranchised. So, uh, but you. about my campaign, uh, just a brief overview of how I did my campaign. So in 2020, before that, I had been involved in a lot of different demonstrations, uh, March for Our Lives, Families Belong Together, protesting the family separation policy under Trump, different climate protests. I went ahead and sat in the Oregon governor's building uh, to protest a fossil fuel pipeline they were trying to put through Coos Bay, uh, which got stopped uh, last year, uh, luckily enough. So that was really good. But by the time it had got to 2020 and there was the George Floyd uprisings, there was a lot of protests that happened in Coos Bay that I got involved in. And they asked me, age 18, uh, to go ahead and run for the Coos Bay City Council. And I did that. I didn't have a platform the first time. Um, I started running and just basically talking to people to ask them what the issues were for them and basically built some of my platform off of that. And I actually got to the election date and got 1,500 votes the first time around, uh, which may not seem like much, but you think about over a 1,000 people voting for somebody who's just 18 running for office. It was about half of what I would have needed to unseat at least one counselor because it's a pick three vote. And so you could pick two incumbents and one newcomer or something like that. And so I failed the first time around, but I got a lot of following. And then, you know, I joined the party and... After that, when 2022 came around, I chose to run again, and I had made the whole platform, and I put a link to it in chat. You can view the Google Doc for it. Uh, It had a whole variety of different positions that I formed based off of my experiences in the community and what I had heard from community members on what was going on in Coos Bay. And it took up social issues. It took up labor issues, environmental issues. I tried to approach things dialectically without even mentioning dialectics or any of that. Unfortunately, and I had to uh, move, but I think that it did make an impact because in Coos Bay, there's been more talk on the housing situation. They actually had a town hall on it. They had put a pride flag up on the city pole, which was one of the things that I had came forward to them about. And they had, they've done more to recognize the problems of marginalized communities in Coos Bay. And they've still got a lot of work to do. Um, they just capitulated on the flagpole policy. There are active fascist forces in Coos Bay that basically push against everything I stood for there, but it does make an impact. And that kind of experience you can use too. People will listen to you. People will, you know, they might not agree with you, but they'll see your name. You know, they'll it'll pick up their ears whenever they hear you 
give some sort of comment on whatever is going on in that area. Uh, so I just wanted to basically give people the rundown of how I did my campaign, what impact I think it made, and just the importance of doing so. So if there's any questions, I'll go ahead and take hands. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, it's unfortunate that you had to withdraw your candidacy there, but if you could do that again, what would you do different this time around that you learned from your experiences running for council? Yeah, so honestly, part of it is if I were to run again, it would probably be for a higher office. You know, running for uh, city council is great and all, but average everyday people can run for city council. And I think that we should organize the people that we meet to just go ahead and run for these things since they're small positions. But because I've got some name recognition behind me, I'd probably go for something higher. In terms of what I would change with my approach to elections is being more proactive and getting out there where the people are. I had coffee with a candidate events. It was something that I did where I would go to a local coffee shop and try and sit down and wait for people to come talk to me. But honestly, I shouldn't wait for people to come to me. I should go to where the people are. So just, you know, if I were to run again, I would probably be at big events and, you know, be down in the downtown uh, with a booth or something, trying to actually talk to potential constituents and build the platform based off of what they said. So I hope that answered your question. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. Thank you. I actually would also like to answer Comrade's question. I was in Coos Bay at the time, and uh, I did help manage that election as well. Um, and one of the lessons that we definitely had learned from that is, I think that when she had ran that first time around, there was a disproportionate focus on social issues and a lack of focus on economic issues, which is a fundamental error that a lot of people will make while running. Because it's not that social issues are unimportant, but class issues are primary. Economic issues are primary, and that is what will reel the most people in. And so if there is an important social issue in your area that a lot of people focus on, it is important to include that in your platform. But um, the economic stuff that is in her platform on the documents, that's something that me and her had talked about for a while following that election attempt, because that was a weak point in the election. And so it's important to understand the history of the area that you are within, because uh, for Coos Bay, there is a very specific, um, I'm not going to get into detail, but there was like a very specific uh, economic history there that kind of formed how we formulated the economic portion of that platform. And um, it's also equally important to understand what is important to people at that moment in your community. Uh, for Coos Bay, it was the housing issue. It was loss of jobs and unemployment. It was people not feeling adequately represented by their city council, which they weren't because they were a bunch of corrupt, petty bourgeois rats. And so it, it is uh, just when you're running a campaign, it is very important to have a strong economic platform. That is something that is often neglected, but it's something that will very effectively reach a large number of people. Not everybody cares about social issues, but everybody wants to not start uh thank you all righty thank you comrade and real quick just to let people know as well uh, when it came to running on the social issues it also hurt me because uh this is one of those situations where that you know kind of is a detriment depending on what area you're in politically and coos bay is a pretty conservative area it's pretty isolated by hundreds of miles to any nearby urban area and they've also got a lot of fascist history behind them i just wrote an article to my local paper about it um so it was one of those things where it was good to stand up on the social issues especially when it comes to people of color and and lgbt plus it was needed uh, but yeah at the time uh, it was a weak point that I didn't have economic stuff behind me because that's what people wanted, you know, when it came to candidates. They wanted somebody that was going to help them feed their children, put, you know, roof over their head, that type of stuff. So I just wanted to add that real quick. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And again, for everyone that uh, may be new to some of the resources that we do have, uh, we do have mass organizations. And in our mass organizations, anyone can join. So we have Movement for a People's Democracy. It's known as MPD. And you can look it up, movementforpeoplesdemocracy.us. We also have Women for Racial and Economic Equality. 
And you can check out the website there, reusa.com. And currently, we're going to have a Civil Rights Congress. We don't have a website for that yet. But this Civil Rights Congress is also a mass organization. And the organizations or the commissions that will be part of this is our Black Liberation Commission and our Civil Rights Commission. As far as the Legislative and Electoral Commission goes, this is where party strategy and tactics are determined and where policies are reviewed to ensure current policies reflect current situations. But you must be a party member to join the actual Legislative and Electoral Commission. So as I say, there are resources available. Just to give you a sample, um, California is our chair for our legislative and electoral commission. And again, it's not like we have been, we're, what do you call it, reinventing the wheel. These are things that have been discussed before and are part of the guidelines that we do follow in this commission. Uh, and there, you can see what it says here. Candidates are to reach out or be directed to the electoral subcommittee of the legislative and electoral commission. Potential candidates must be cadre before being eligible to run. That means a full year in our party and performing some um, duties that need to be um, instructed, mostly with schools. We have some schools that uh, you have to complete before becoming cadre. Platform, obviously, will present it during this assessment. And any change that needs to be made, because every situation is different, it will be based on the profile developed during phase two. And that phase one is actually vetting the candidate and setting up committees. So phase two is then platform, town, city, district, and state, as well as the position that the candidate is running for should be obviously a paramount concern. And it is recommended that inexperienced party members run in local elections first. All right. That just gives you a rundown. We do have resources and organizations that are there as support tools for people thinking of running. All right. Takeaway. I just wanted to give you this. If anything, is engage in politics. As Engel said, turn the deception, deception into emancipation. I mean, where else can you actually make a change? And here is the best way to make a change. And again, what was talked about before, the slogan is everything. Not everything is. Ed says notes and bolts will have to get you there first. But after that, peace, bread, and land. In the 1917 revolution, you could have peace, bread, and jobs. That would be more relevant today. But there's others too. So and that's directed to our people that are here. It's in your hands. Are we going to be, we would love to have absolutely a lot more people uh, joining us in this very important effort, um, but it's not like we are sitting on our laurels either. We're, we're working with what we have. We do with what we have. All right. And uh, this was Lenin quote, which I thought was good. Communists in all countries should exist for the purpose of changing in all spheres of life. In this case, he's really not just talking about politics. The old socialist, trade unionist, syndicalist, and the parliamentary type of work into a new type of work. And he puts this all under the communists. And that's you and me. In Western Europe and in America, the communists must learn to create a new, uncustomary, non-opportunist, and non-careerist parliamentarism. And the communist parties must issue their slogans and to take the bourgeoisie at its word and utilize the machinery the bourgeoisie has set up, the elections that the bourgeoisie has appointed, and the appeals the bourgeoisie has made to the people. We must take the opportunity to explain Bolshevism in a way that was never possible outside of election times. I mean, Lenin is right in sync with Engels on this. It is very difficult, but it can and must be done for the objectives of communism cannot be achieved without effort. All right, I mean, uh, it's pretty plain as day. And then 
This is important too, because even though we've gone through this whole school uh, class, do you consider the strengthening of third parties, especially those parties that continually attack capitalist candidates' contradictions during the campaign periods, to be worth the time and effort of socialists and communists? Do you consider it important to break the two-party complex? If we weaken both parties, I would think that would be a good thing. Second thing is we get our word out. So you have to decide, you know, um, if you really consider it, because this takes a lot of time and effort. Do you consider the possibility of significant electoral successes that could aid in the struggle towards socialism and assist in the elimination of capitalism? Here it is. We're talking about reforms. The more we can get reforms, the more we can do that then that does help because people get used to those reforms. People get used to those benefits. And once you give them to them, it's hard to take them away. So even if all you put in is a reform and you darn know darn well that at the next electoral cycle, they will probably dump it. you got to get it out there. Uh, and that's that would be your job. Okay. And I think that's the end of it a constituent survey that I had at the time that had a whole bunch of just different questions and stuff. And it says, bring change to the people of Coos Bay or to Coos Bay that helps people. So at that time, that was basically, I was putting myself out there as the people's candidate. And I think that's correct. It sure as hell wasn't the incumbents. So I just wanted to show that. And also I was able to, I remember the first time I ran, uh, one of the people actually helped me with campaign signs, like signs that I could put in people's yards. And I went around and put a whole bunch of signs out. So those are good things to have too. Material things that get your campaign out there, get you good advertising. I think either could answer this for me. What is about the time range you would want to start preparing? Like our city council elections are every four years and they just happened here. So... Would you start like a year before or two or already be ahead of it? Uh, that's all. Yeah, so I can give an answer to that. I didn't decide to run again until the beginning of 2022. Um, so for the whole time of 2021, long story short, basically most of the activist movement around Coos Bay had fragmented off in 2020, and we had to build a lot of it uh, back from scratch through our mass orgs. But basically, for this year, for 2023, if your elections just happened last year, I would just survey the community and be where the people are for about a year, um, try to get to know the local issues and what solutions people want. And then I'd say the ideal time to start up a campaign is the beginning of whatever the election year is, which I imagine for you is 2024. So at that point, think that the best thing to do is start up good couple social media pages on different social media platforms for yourself, put yourself out there, uh, go out where the people are, and basically just have a presence until it comes time, um, usually in April or May, uh, to file uh, to run for those positions. Uh, and then you'll do that. And then you'll really hit the ground running when it comes to talking to people and all that. And you'll have to look and see what the elections are like for your city council or whatever have you that you're running for. Um, there might be different guidelines when it comes to donations or other sorts of things, even the vote count, how you actually would win. Um, but that's what I would say. And another note that I want to give comrades here when it comes to running is, of course, if you win, that's a that's a great thing. That's obviously a victory and, and you do what you can inside the government once you do that. But the objective is not necessarily to win. The objective is to get those solutions out there and try to, I guess, uh, shift the Overton window when it comes to uh, what's being talked about in Coos Bay. Um, I don't think I did that a whole, or I mean, in Coos Bay, that's my example, but wherever you are, I don't think I did that that much in Coos Bay, but I think I might've uh, said the solutions enough that people think about them to a certain extent, you know, me having to leave that area kind of really did it in for 
my influence there. But that's just what I would say. Uh, yes, very simple to answer her question. One of the things that probably the most important office that, that is going to be on the ballot in, in many places all through the United States, and maybe the most important is school board. And one of the things that the right wing did over the course of the last 20, 30 years is they didn't care who was president. They didn't care who was senator. They basically were concentrated on taking over school boards. And now you see on page uh, articles where left and right, you see, before you can't even turn around without seeing the uh, book banning in this state, in this city, in this district. And they've taken over. Uh, many of the right wing candidates uh, running for school board have funding from right wing organizations. Yeah. And it's most important that you look and see and you'll find out if there's going to be school board elections. And even without school board elections, if there's an attempt to ban books in the local districts, there very often will be from the educators and other uh, progressive parents uh, or senators very often form committees, openly public committees, to fight against the book banning. Definitely get involved in doing that because that's where basically the right wing has pretty much taken over America in, in basically. Uh, controlling the education of our young. And that's the, the one thing where we have to start. Thank you. Okay, there was a phrase that was mentioned. Um, I'm curious about its origins. I, I think it was make deception emancipation or something like that. What was mm -hmm. that phrase? And where did that come from? That's really nice. I like that. Yeah, that was Engels in uh, what family? Um, I think it's yeah. family, private property in the state. Thank that's you. It. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing I just wanted to mention is that for anybody who doubts that there can be any sort of real material gain from parliamentarianism, even within a bourgeois structure, um, that is objectively provable false within our current world. In Kerala, in India, the chief minister is a communist, and they have the highest literacy rate in the country, the highest HDI, the human development index in the country, and they have the highest life expectancy in the country. They're the second least impoverished state in India. So they have communists in their state leadership in Kerala, in India. Um, and actually, the, the, the CPIM that holds power in Kerala, they're part of of a united front, actually. So they use that tactic there and it is successful. So what we are talking about is not simply proven successful 100 years ago. It is proven successful in other parts of the world today. Uh, thank you. Thank you, comrade. All right, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up our class now. Thank you, everybody, and have a great night. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information, or to join our free classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube, listen to our streams on Spotify, and chat with us on Reddit. <laughs>